This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 20th, 2021, episode 2665. This episode is brought to you today by the Certified Horsemanship Association. CHA's intrepid podcast host, Christy Landwehr, is out and about gathering intel for upcoming episodes. So sit back and enjoy this previously aired masterpiece from the Horses in the Morning audio vaults. It's the third Tuesday of the month on Horses in the Morning. And that means we get deep into training, education, and horsey fun. With Christy from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, Jen. I'm excited to be here. How are you today? I'm doing grand. It's so lovely to have you back live again on this third Tuesday of the month. You know, folks could set up their bill pay systems on their computers by who's on the shows on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. That's a great idea. Oh, Christy's here. I got to pay the car payment. That's right. <laughs> Yay. I don't know if that's good. You, you know, my birthday is April 14th. So everybody has to pay their taxes on April 15th. Oh. So I don't know if I want to be known for that. I don't know about that. You've had a lifetime of grumpy birthdays. Yeah, pretty much. Ah, tax sorry. time. Well, unless you get a big return and then it's happy time, you still have to do the work, but then you get a return back. So that's yeah. good. How do you work that out? Oh, you know, you just smile and nod. It's yeah. it, it's really okay. I need I need to work out the whole get a big refund back part. Well, you have to write off stuff, Jen. Everything is a write off. I well, yeah, we're write off, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of write offs, what's coming up on today's show that's not a write off? We have such a good day today. We're going to have two wonderful guests on today. Chelsea Erler from Cowboy Logic, and she is in Michigan. And then Whitney Legacy, and she's in Connecticut. And they're both um, AQHA professional horsewomen that are going to talk about something pretty intense. Collection, extension, lengthening, and shortening of your horse's stride at all three gates. It'll be good whether you go down the trail in the arena or your horse show. They're going to have a lot of good exercises and drills for you to all do at home. So stay tuned. Oh boy. Now, see, this is it, on the surface, lengthening and shortening sounds basic enough. Collection sounds basic enough. But I think it's one of those things I think that competitive riders think about a lot because it's, it's, re, it's something that you deal with as a competitive dressage rider or a competitive rainer or things like that. But I think folks outside of a very few disciplines don't think a whole lot about collection and extension and lengthening and changing the length of your horse's stride and what it means to the horse, how it gets done. So I thought it might be fun to get things rolling today. If I would go to Wikipedia, we love Wikipedia, both for its entertainment value and its, um, not quite true to the fact value and right on the ball, right on the, on the mark value. It's got a little of each. And I found a page list of equestrian sports on Wikipedia. So I thought it might be fun to just randomly pick some equestrian sports from Wikipedia 
and see if we couldn't figure out how the skill of lengthening and shortening and collection, collecting and extending your horse could apply to those disciplines. Sure. So, so we're basically going to spin the <laughs> wheel. Now, this, if this is not geeking out on training, I don't know what is. Awesome. We're being very techy today. It's very like techy. we're a tech podcast, but for horses. Tech podcast for horses. That's right. So what might happen is we might use words that people don't. Now, I'm just imagining because I listen to Glenn's, I think it's called Tech News Today. Is that what it's called, Glenn? The one you listen to in the morning? Yes. Tech News Today. Tech News Today. Uh, about every third word. I don't know what that word is. I've never heard that word before. <laughs> or if I have, I heard it on Tech News Today. And I don't know what it means. So that I the the listeners to this show might understand what I felt like when I listened to Tech News Today. So we're going to start well, out. You know with- what? The horse world does that all the time. Let's just go ahead and <laughs> rattle them off. We've got Kimberwick. We've got Ergot. We've got Martingale. We've got Croup. I mean, we could go on and on and on because the Croup isn't really a baby that's ill, right? It's a part of your horse. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we could just go on and on and on. It's super fun. <laughs> Words, yeah. Um, one of my favorites growing up was Numna. Yes. Numna. That, that's what you have when you eat uh, ice cream. Num, num, numna. <laughs> so that's right. we're going to start or pizza or pizza. Yeah. We're going to start out with a genuinely interesting discipline and just a little bit unusual ski joring. Oh my, of course you were going to do something like this. Of course you were. <laughs> so we're going to start out with what is ski joring? You have Wikipedia in front of you. Go ahead and share. Well, ski joring. I know what ski joring is because we've had some ski joring um, guests on a few times over the year. And ski joring is a sport where a person is pulled by sometimes a horse, sometimes a dog, and sometimes a four-wheeler. And they're on skis. But it's an actual competitive sport where the horse pulls a skier. And um, they usually put up a jump and they do crazy weird stuff. So the guy on the horse is going lickety-split down a packed snow-covered straightaway, frequently a street in some ski town in the upper Midwest. So how in the world would the skill of being able to lengthen and shorten your horse or collect him or extend him be useful when one was ski-joring? Can I just first start by saying, of all the disciplines you could choose, this is probably one of the most unsafe, and yet here we are (laughs) representing Certified Horsemanship Association, whose mission is life is to be safe with horses. I love the irony, Jen. It's good. Well, you're you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But to answer your question, if I was ski-joring, and I was the one behind the horse on the skis being crazy like that, I would certainly hope that I can collect my horse. If I was coming upon something like a road where I was about to go into the road, I would certainly hope that I could collect my horse back so that I could stop in time before I hit the road and died. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go. See, that's one way. The way way I thought of it is this way. You are asking your horse to go flat out as fast as he can for a very short span. So what you don't want is to have your horse go faster and fall on his forehand and lose his balance, because then when you try to come back and slow down to a stop at the end of the course, not going to work so well because he's all on his forehand and he's going to slip and slide. Now, uh, mind you, when they do this, they have all the appropriate foot gear. This isn't necessarily all redneck. So part of the 
skill set that your horse develops when he learns to lengthen and shorten his stride and then eventually extend and collect himself is that he learns to use his core muscles and not fall excessively onto his forehand. So you are being so techy and I love it, but let's go ahead and go way back to the basics. You know, I'm an educator, Jen. So let's talk about the horse. So the horse, when it grazes, 64% of its weight is on its forehand constantly because it's eating hay off the ground. It's grazing. That's what it does. When we get on and ride the horse, especially for some of your very, very, very upper level maneuvers and dressage and things like that, we want to rock that 65% back onto their haunches. Most of the time, even up to 80, 85%, that's how you get things like the Labad, where they actually lift in front, that's 100% on their hind end, right? So that's really counterintuitive to what the horse does naturally. So for those of you that ride and think, why does my horse always drag me around and pull on the reins and go on his forehand? Well, because that's what he knows how to do. And you as a rider have to teach him how to rock back and use his motor, which is his haunches, and actually go forward and push from behind. And that's extension. And that's collection. And that's those types of things in action. And I'll tell you, it is not easy to do. It is not easy to do. Well, it's, e- it's, it's, it's difficult to do well. How's that? Yes, I would agree with that. And that's why you need a very good riding instructor to teach you how. Okay, show's over. <laughs> go to chainstructors.com. <laughs> there we go. Okay, let's pick another sport. How's about, um, let's try, how about trail riding? We have zillions of people trail ride, thousands of people who listen to this show trail ride. And I mean the real honest to goodness trail ride. Put the Put the saddlebags on, toss in there some, tasty cakes and an adult beverage and go out for three or four hours with your friends. And when you get back, make a campfire and s'mores, that kind of trail ride. Why in the world would these types of skills be useful? Oh, I love a horse that can do five different types of jog and trot on the trail. It is the best gate, in my opinion, to see the world. You have a nice little comfortable sitting trot or jog going on, which be, would be the collecting and shortening up and going slow and you're wanting to look at the scenery. And then you're like in parts of the trail that maybe look, you know, like Kansas or Iowa. Sorry if you're there from there, but you, that's always the joke, right? And you're just, I just got to get through this part. This part is this, ah. And you go into this lovely extended trot where you're either doing the hover position like endurance riders do, aka kind of sort of light seat or half seat or maybe even two point, but the hover position or you're posting, right? And I just, oh, a horse that can do all of that within that one gate is phenomenal. Very good. And uh, an- another way that I, I would say that you can apply that is when you trail ride with a group, each horse has his own optimum pace. Horses, um, they're, they're, they're geared like an automobile is. Second gear in a pickup truck and second gear in a Volkswagen Beetle are two different speeds, ideally. So you might out be out with horses who walk much faster than your horse does. So you occasionally have to trot to keep up. But if your horse only has one speed of trot, that's going to really suck because they're going to get ahead of you. And then he's going to pick and he's going to start to trot and he's going to do his mad trot and he's going to go and then you're going to have to slam on the brakes again repeatedly for hours on end. Sucks for everybody. Or you're the one who is walking fast and because you cannot rate your horse's pace or length of stride or you're trotting, you trot for a long time on the trail, you're out there in the open and it's beautiful and you're the open range. Well, your horse has the 90 mile an hour trot. 
the other horses are going to get left behind and your friends are going to be cranky and not share their adult beverages when you get back. So being able to rate that, not just slow it down, because if you slow it down without altering the horse's balance or length of stride, all you're doing is cramming, cramming him into a little package and making his back sore. It's kind of like if you were forced to hunch for hours on end. Um, if you have the ability to practically and correctly shorten that horse up and may have him go slower at the same time, then your ri- trail riding buddies are going to like you when you get back to the campfire and share their adult beverages. So it's all well, about I'll tell the adult you. beverage. I am so glad that you brought this up because there is three types we'd like to talk about in every gate, whether it's walk, trot, canter, walk, jog, or lope. There's regular working, which is the one that your horse likes to do, regular working. And then there's slower than that, right? And then there's faster than that, or there's collected and extended of those types of things. And so you can do in the arena or on your pasture or wherever you first get on your horse before you go out on the trail ride, you can set up, let's say, two cones. Or if you don't have cones, you can say, all right, those posts or, oh, my gosh, those trees. And you can do just his regular working, let's say, trot, because that's what we started with, in between those two. And you can count his strides. And you can say, all right, in between tree one and tree two, he does eight strides. So if we're going to collect him... We're going to have to do what? More or less strides, Jen, in between the trees. More. If you're going to collect them, you want more. Absolutely. So then the goal is to do nine or ten, right? And then if you want to extend him, you obviously want to do less. Less strides. Yay! Correct. So that's a great way to kind of get to actually go, oh, I actually did influence my horse. I'm not just feeling like I'm going faster or slower. I'm actually engaging my horse's haunches and having it happen. So that's a pretty cool exercise. And we actually just happened to have that video on our website at CHA.horse under our education button. And you go to videos. And Ann Brzezicki, who's on our board and works for Middle Tennessee State University, is doing that exact video on there. So you can check it out. What would the video be called? What would they, could they search? Cause they can search through the videos, right? Yeah. Lengthening and shortening of stride. It's actually there one that's more on that than collection and extension. So if you but just yeah, put length- in there lengthening, you, you'll, you'll find it. It'll come up. Yep. And you can either go to our CHA channel on YouTube or you can go directly to our website, whichever is easier for you. Cool. Ah. All right. Now we need another one. Let's see here. How's about uh, driving? Your horse wears oh. a harness. Glenn, are you on? You could help us with this one. <laughs> He'll, no, he won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I see when I drive, I just drive. I don't think about it. I just drive. It's your downtime, right, Glenn? Your fun it's time. When me and my pony, by the way, my pony doesn't think about it either. So <laughs> there's that. Yep. We're, we're, we're good together. Perfect Neither one that. of us think. <laughs> yeah. So let's say we, uh, the obvious one, if you do combined driving, which involves dressage and um, obstacle or cross country, eventing. basically. Yeah, it's eventing. like eventing for driving uh-huh. horses. It, the application is obvious because it's a competitive sport. But what if you are a pleasure driver or you do what's called carriage driving in that you trot down the road? Right. Why, why in the world would being able to adjust the length of your horse's stride and the speed at which he moves be useful? So this time of year on the 16th Street Mall in Denver, Colorado, there are lots and lots of carriages and people out because everyone wants that sleigh ride when it's, you know, snowing. 
yeah. And they have all different kinds of horses that pull the carriages. They have um, quarter horses. They've got big Belgians. They got Frisians. They got gypsy vanners. They got all kinds of stuff. And it's very important when you're going down the 16th Street Mall, even though it's only a pedestrian walkway, there's still a big old bus that goes by. There's still lots of people on bikes that go by. Um, There's still just a lot of activity and excitement. So for those drivers, I would think that this would be a very useful thing to get that horse to be able to come back when they need it to, to be able to extend on, to get through that red light because there's still traffic lights, of course, because there's all the cross streets. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be very useful in a busy area like that. True. Now, if you're out driving on trails or if you're somewhere where you drive on country roads where you have up and down hills, being able to lengthen and shorten your horse's step and posture can be awfully darn useful. For example, you're going up a long, gentle hill. You want your horse to lengthen his stride and get up that hill efficiently because short little steps are less efficient energy-wise. Uh, If you're trotting down the road for a a long period of time, your horse's ability to trot along on a long stride for an extended period of time is important. So by practicing the ability to lengthen and shorten and lengthen and shorten, you can gradually increase that horse's uh, endurance in that gait uh, versus, okay, he does, I don't. If you don't take the time to do that, you say, well, I'm just going to go out and trot fast for a period of time so my horse gets used to trotting fast. What will happen? He'll trot fast at first, and his balance will be his natural God-given balance. His head's going to be up. He's going to be on his forehand. And as he gets a little more tired, he's going to get more on his forehand, which means he's going to be harder to control, especially in a carriage where you don't have your seat or your legs to help. And also, he's going to fall more onto his forehand, giving his front end more stress and wearing him out and increasing the potential for injury. So even as a driving horse, if you're just a pleasure horse, having that ability is going to make you more controllable and um, easier to control and increase your fitness and increase your longevity of your career. So there you go. Well, and I'm so glad you brought up hills. That's exactly because... what I do every time I go out. Exactly. <laughs> you increase your longevity. He increases his longevity. <laughs> <laughs> and we like that, Glenn. We want you around for a really long time. So keep increasing that longevity, please. <laughs> okay, good. The older my pony gets, the better chance I'm going to live longer is, too, by the way. So, <laughs> I agree. Because he's just bellowing out a bit. Yeah. I agree. Well, I want to go back, Jen, to the hills because I'm going to give you a pet peeve because, you know, when you give me the microphone and let me play guest, I get to do this. Um, I do not like it at all when people run up hills. Oh my gosh, whether you're running up the hill with your cart behind you or whether you're running up the hill when you're riding your horse, that teaches your horse some very bad things. And over time is really going to hurt the horse and you. It could get very dangerous. So much better when you're coming up to a hill to let them extend up the hill. So whatever gate you're in, walk or trot, let them just reach a little bit further, not rush up it and get little quick short strides ah, and all hectic. Just let them start to really use their hind end and do that and really reach out. And I'm sure our guests are going to go into some of the nitty gritty, but I can't help myself. So if you are decreasing and you're wanting your horse to collect back, I call it squeezing water out of a sponge. So you just kind of take your reins, whether you're in the carriage or whether you're um, riding, and you can squeeze water out of the sponge. With some horses, both at the same time, with others, one hand then the other. But it's not just reins. If you're riding and if you're in the carriage, and I know, Glenn, you use your core when you drive. Don't tell me you don't. You probably have a six-pack under there because of all the core you use driving that pony around. Absolutely. You do have to tuck oh, your tail yeah. and use your core. 
I have a six pack. All right. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Next time we have a cruise for the radio show, we're going to check it out. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But you understand what I mean? Not to invite Christy to the cruise. Oh, I'm coming on the cruise. It'll be great fun. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, you've got to use your core because if you have that muscle and you can tuck your tail like that, your horse over time will start to feel that core and they'll come back without even you using your reins. And that is phenomenal. And then to go faster, if you use alternating legs on the horse, not same leg, same leg at the same time normally gets your horse into the next gate. You use alternating legs with your horse's um, hind end. So as the hind right leg is coming forward, you use that leg. As the hind left leg is coming forward, you use your leg there. The horse will increase its stride, especially at trot because it's a diagonal gait. It'll really start to increase it, not necessarily go faster, but lengthen. And it is such a cool feeling. So, okay, little geek out moment, but okay, I'm, I'm back now. <laughs> She's back. There we go. I get so excited teaching. Can you tell? <laughs> I love it. So we, I think we have time for one more before we get to our guests. Let's see here. Okay. Um, let's do this one. It might seem obvious, but I think it's worth going into. Show hunters. Now, at the high levels of show hunters, folks get it. But I think what a lot of people mistakenly think, that if my show hunter is only competing at the two-foot level, the two-foot-six level, for goodness sakes, at the crossrail level, he doesn't need to have these skills. Let's bust a myth. Yeah, that is not true. Because whether you're showing hunters or jumpers, just jumping in general, oh, you want your horse to have that agility. And I'll tell you, I think the biggest thing about jumping, and um, especially true in show hunters, is lateral movement. So you have to get your horse to know how to go sideways, which requires collection to be able to get them to leg yield. So let's say you're coming around the turn and you're heading to jump number two. Jump two is across the long diagonal center of the arena and you turn too soon. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, the center of the cross rail is really not where it's supposed to be. Well, instead of having to haul on the horse's face, you can just very easily sit back, use a little bit of leg, get the horse to rock back a little bit. And within its same movement, a leg yield is a side pass with forward motion. You get that horse to move over and then bam, you're right in front of the jump where you need to be. So now you've done some shortening of stride while going sideways with forward motion and that's pretty cool and so you have you when you're a show hunter you still have to do the course and the whole thing about show hunter is it's all smooth and pretty without any jumps or jostles so let's say you need to have your horse have a 12 foot stride as a show hunter rather than you can't teach you in order to get the horse to do a consistent 12-foot stride, you have to be able to get the horse to make it bigger and shorter. Um, you can't take a horse that, that has a 13-foot stride and just hold him back and end up with a 12-foot stride consistently because that's not going to change his balance. It's just going to, again, squish him in as if he was slouching all the time. The second thing it does is by teaching the horse to lengthen and shorten, it teaches him to change his balance so that when he gets to the fence... He can sit back properly on his hindquarters and go over the fence. A lot of times if you watch show hunters, you see the horse jump and he lands in a heap and his nose dives to the ground when he lands. That horse is having difficulty using those core muscles and holding himself together. He's landing on his forehand. We want him to land and be light on his forehand so the next step he takes after the jump can be a consistent regular stride and not something that's six and a half feet long. 
because he landed on his forehand and he has to completely readjust. And you start that when the horse is just doing the putt-putt level so that when you go around that course, I have five stride line here, even though it's a cross rail, if you can't adjust, what happens when you get to the cross rail in six strides, you're too tight, and then you have an ugly jump. So you start that process of teaching the horse to change his, and by changing it regularly and frequently and correctly, you actually are teaching the horse to carry himself so he stays consistent. If your horse is consistently doing a 13-foot long too long a stride, asking them to shorten it up a whole bunch. Oh, let's do let's do three really short strides. Okay, relax down to 12. Okay, let's do let three, three really, really short strides. And what's going to happen, the horse will strengthen his muscles and also strengthen his brain in that he's going to anticipate, okay, he's, she's going to let me relax and do my happy 13-foot stride for three strides, but then I know she's going to ask me to come back. So I'm going to anticipate that and be ready so that your aids are smaller and he's doing 90% of the work. There you go. Love it. And now we've talked about canner a little bit too, which we hadn't. So there good. We go. Love it. There we are. So I think we might have our first guest, Chelsea, ready. Oh, I'm so excited to introduce Chelsea Erler is with Cowboy Logic LLC, and she has been riding and showing horses since she was six years old. She and her husband own a small family-friendly training facility located in Chase, Michigan, where they focus on starting horses and creating partnerships between horse and rider in all levels and disciplines. Chelsea is involved with her local 4-H as a leader, a apology coach, and a horse show judge. She is also an AQHA professional horsewoman, a CHA master instructor, and she coaches an IHSA collegiate stock team. Hello, Chelsea. How are you today? Good. How about you, ladies? We are good, and we're so excited to have you on. This is your first time on our show, huh? It is, and I'm super excited about it. Well, tell us, for the listeners out there, where exactly is Chase, Michigan located? Well, it's a little town kind of in the middle of nowhere. So we are about an hour north of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and about an hour away from Ludington, Michigan. So we're kind of tucked, nestled into that little area, and it's a great little community for us. And do you do um, all kinds of things, training, instruction, and boarding at your facility? Yes, we do. We we are trying to slowly phase out of the boarding side of things, but we, we love to have our boarders, but we teach, we instruct, and board a little bit at our facility right now. And we're lucky that we butt up right next to some uh, nice trails and some state property. So it's just, we are very blessed where we are. That's good. Then you have access to trail too. That's super. Yeah. A little bit of everything. So we have been diving in and we were, Jen and I were laughing. We're talking about this is kind of a tech nerd geek show today for horse folks, because we're going into some pretty heavy duty definitions, you know, of different things. So we're going to have you go ahead and chat today about collection and extension for us versus shortening and lengthening. So can you just kind of let us know, Chelsea, in your opinion, what is your definition of collection and extension with horses? And I totally agree with you. Like when we, we discussed this earlier about our, our topic and I'm like, oh man, that's like one of those things, like we're opening a can of worms, but you know, there's a lot of myths 
and truths about collection extension. And the main thing to worry about is every single horse is different. So what you might get from one horse is not what you're going to get for the next. And they're both very um, engaging for our horses and uh, a little bit of work for both horse and rider. But in my opinion, collection is when you're gathering your horse underneath of you to strengthen its gates and get it the most brilliant and balanced underneath of you and definitely engaging those hindquarters. We don't want those shoulders pulling um, themselves through their motions. We want that hind end driving uh, straight and true with lots of rhythm and suppleness, a little bit of contact and impulsion. And I think that is my geeky way of uh, describing collection to you guys. And then on the reverse side, our extension, um, it's when you're covering as much ground while maintaining a good cadence and balance and forwardness, smoothness. And um, I always kind of see that geeky picture of that nice dressage horse that as it's doing an extended trot that it's hinds in their front they're like covering the exact same amount of ground and it's just a beautiful picture when you see that it is and it's super fun to ride a really amazing trot like that when they're fully extended yeah. oh my gosh so much yeah fun. and like the, for both of the collection and the extension they they're one of those things that it's the horse's at its prime. It's totally balanced. You have that rhythm underneath of you and it's a beautiful thing to feel. And for some of our more novice riders that they go, well, I don't know what that feels like. Like for collection, just think about when you're going down a hill, the horse has to drive underneath itself to balance or for our jumping exhibitors that right before they take off over that fence, they have to collect themselves back so it's in everything we do um, in the horse industry. It's not just for the show environment. I know. And I love that because that was going to be my next question to you, actually, Chelsea, is why are these types of things important for people that don't show their horses? Why does it matter? Let's say if you're a trail rider or if you just enjoy hacking your horse is in your own private arena and you have no desire to show, why are these things still important? Right. And it's, once again, it, it's important to, as horse riders and horse enthusiasts, we want our horse to be at their best. So we want them to have that strength and that balance. So in my, my training world, we call it like the equine yoga of like, hey, we want your rider to be as fit as possible when we're riding these horses. So we want to do right by our equine pals and, you know, partners in crime that we want them to be at their fit max. So we want them um, to be able to stride out. And if you watch a horse play in the field, they're not running it. Well, some of them run around with their head high up in the air at the beginning. But if you watch a horse naturally in its field, its back is rounded and they're driving underneath themselves. So why not continue that with your horse while you're riding it, whether you're once again, going down a hill and engaging your horse that way, or if you're lengthening, you know, to kind of hustle your horse a little bit so you can get out of the cold or the rain. Yeah, and I loved it. Um, you sent us a photo that had you out packing 
and you look like you're in your yeah. rain slicker and it looked like you had your mule and everything with you. So you understand that well. You got to get hustling so that you can get out of the weather. Absolutely. And that was definitely one of my uh, geeky moments that my husband and I were blessed and fortunate to work for an outfitting group. And yeah, if the weather turned bad, you had to ride and hustle your, your pack out there and try to get your uh, cargo into the, you know, the holding area without, you know, damaging any of it either. You know, if you're carrying propane tanks, you don't want that rubbing down on the rocks as you're packing out. So I love that shot. So I've, now let's get into some of the nitty gritty. So I think people love to visualize stuff that they can do at home with their own horses when they're done listening to the show. So can you give us some very specific um, patterns and exercises that you like to do with your own clients to help them have success with collection and extension? Absolutely. So um, for the baby basics, what I do with all my riders is um, we do the three levels of each gate. So naturally, a horse will have its specific walk that, you know, we consider it its medium walk that what they're feeling around the arena as they're starting out. And then we want to be able to rock that horse back and do what we call the crawl gate. And this exercise you can do at walk, you could do it at trot, you could do it at canter. So you're going to, as you're riding down the rail, riding your horse's normal walk, you're going to start to engage and squeeze through your fingers and engage your horse's brain a little bit and have them slow down and rock back over those hinds and do what we call the baby crawl. And you let them hold that for a couple strides, but don't let them like get so slow that they're feeling hung up in their walk. You want them to still feel that brightness underneath of you and um, hold it for a couple of strides and feel the potential underneath of you. And then you'll let them out and just find that medium walk again. And then you're going to inhale and get bright underneath of you and start accepting extending them and making them find that maximum of stretch. And I kind of joke with my riders and I go, this is kind of like you're going to the bathroom walk, but you don't want people to know that you're trying to hurry to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so um, you want that kind of, you know, ah, oh, okay, we got to go. We got to go. We got to have that lightness in that walk. And I feel that if you can get that good at a walk and a trot, that brilliance then transfers up into the canner as well. So that's like my baby step one exercise that I do with all my riders and all my young horses. And it's just, it kind of brings a smile to you, your face when you describe it that way. And you just transition throughout your arena time or even out on the trails, you practice that. Okay, we're going to crawl for, you know, a couple little bit. All right, let's lengthen and extend now. Okay, quick. We got to go to that porter potty before we have to make our class. Oh my goodness. So that sort of mentality that you're helping these horses along. And then um, another exercise that helps strengthen and balance and practice these extension and collection maneuvers is I will use two logs and they don't have to be elevated or anything. And I will set them about 60 feet apart and um, once again, this exercise is great for beginners, intermediate, advanced riders. And 
you'll find your horses medium walk or trot or canter. And uh, definitely for the cantering side of things, this is a little bit more advanced. And you'll let your horse go over these logs and you'll count how many strides you get comfortably every single time. So just for a guesstimation, we'll say at a trot, it will give us like 10 footsteps. And then what we'll do is we'll try to then collect our horse and shorten our amount of footsteps in between those logs. So instead of getting 10 steps, 10 strides, we'll only get like nine or eight, and then we'll try to get that consistent. And then um, we'll reverse that. I'm sorry. We'll get like 10 or 12. And then for the overachievers, when we collect, we might get 14 steps in there. And then when we reverse it and we extend our horse's gait, we'll try to get less amount of strides. So for our uh, big overachiever warm bloods, we might be able to get, you know, eight steps in that small amount of space versus, you know, the 10 steps that we were originally getting at that medium gait. And I love that kind of exercise because it always reminds me of just uh, even with veterinarian stuff or even with yourself, you need to know what your blood pressure is normally, your heart rate is normally, right? Your pulse, those kinds of things so that if you're sick, you know that you're sick, right? So when you know your regular working walk, trot, or canter and what you said medium, then you're going to know when your horse is doing something other than and that you've actually influenced. Otherwise, how do you know? You don't really know. Right. So it's a great way to actually know. Yep. And like I said, every horse is different. So I have a little pony that I use that everyone calls her the pogo stick. And she definitely has a much different stride length and, but she can compact herself versus some of my bigger horses that I use, you know, the riders sometimes struggle riding him because he's just a little bit more like I always go back to saying it's like driving a school bus versus driving the Ferrari. So everything's a little bit different. And I love Chelsea that you mentioned inhaling. I think we forget so much about breathing. Could you go a little bit more into inhaling and exhaling and how that all affects this? Yes, absolutely. So um, I, I find that just like with exercise, that um, if we forget to breathe, we're going to be tense as riders and we're not going to be a good partner riding with these horses. So I find that when I want my horse to get some life and some upward transition, if I inhale, if you think about it as you're sitting there and listening in the rail, everyone kind of inhale, your body gets a little bit lighter And same, and then in the reverse, that when we're ready to kind of rock back and be ready for our stopping or our half halt, if we exhale, it kind of mentally, like everyone breathes out a little bit, um, it rocks you back and helps you balance. Like there's nothing that drives me more nuts that we are asking our horse for that slow down and we end up being that crash test dummy that we halt, but then we fall forward and throw our horse accidentally forward. And then we reprimand the horse for stepping forward out of that perfect halt. So everyone, a great exercise for you guys to practice while you're driving your car. Anytime you come to a stop sign, I want you to exhale, push down through your seat bones and 
stop nicely at your stop sign. And that's a good way to start practicing, you know, riding outside of the riding arena. And then when you go to accelerate your car, kind of inhale and lighten yourself up. I love that because that's so true. And then you can start thinking about horses way more than just when you're riding them. It's obviously we don't have time to ride them near as much as we would like, but then you're still practicing and getting good muscle memory. I think that's great. Are there any other um, specific patterns, exercises, or drills that you like to do um, with any of your different disciplined riders and what have you? Um, We have one that uh, my 4-H kids deem the the clover leaf of doom, and I I really don't know how it developed this name, but it is a great exercise to practice both lengthening, collecting, and utilization of straight lines and half circles. So what you'll do is you'll set up four cones in the center of your arena, and they are about, they're spaced maybe six foot, seven foot apart. It doesn't really matter just as long as it's a box. And what you're going to do at first is just walk a straight line through your cones and then make only half circles to the right. So you are always going through the center of your cones. And if you look at it on a piece of paper, it makes a perfect uh, clover leaf if you look at it and ride it. And it's a great exercise to practice bringing them, rocking them back over their haunches as you're riding a circle. Because we all know that when you ride a circle, it naturally rocks a horse back and slows it down. So then you can start playing with that. When you get on that straight line, you find that more extended rhythm. And then when you're making those half circles and looking ahead for those half circles, which I find a lot of people don't look ahead of for their circles, um, it will help naturally rock them back as well. Yeah, I think that is a super idea. And I love that because it's a visual then, you know, horses love to seek, right? And people do too. So when you have cones or you have, like you said, the logs, it gives you a visual instead of just a wide open pasture or a wide open trail or a wide open arena, right? It gives you visuals for the horse in you. So I think that's super. That cracks me up that it's the cloverleaf pattern of doom. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because it it really does like, People will do it at a walk and they're going, oh, this is so easy. We're bored. And then as soon as you up the ante and make them trot or canter or jog and lope, all of a sudden those half circles are looking like teardrops. They're not looking. They're paying attention on. Yeah. This is a deceptively difficult exercise. I've done this and I I distinctly remember the first time I ever had to do it. We did not have cones. I had to just make it up in my head. And the first time the instructor said, well, this is what we're going to do. First of all, it took me about 15 minutes to even get it right because I kept trying to make figure eights. It was like, how do you do this? I finally got it. And it is deceptively difficult. As soon as you straighten out from that circle, if you let your horse fall on the forehand, the the next half circle you do looks like crap. It looks like a potato. Yeah, and you can make it bigger or smaller. Yeah, depending on the skill of the horse and the rider pair, you can make those half circles really big, which what what we were doing. Each one was a good 15 meters, uh, but you can certainly shrink it down for the, the desired effect. And I highly, highly recommend this one to everybody to try. Just put something in your arena yeah. to give you a visual of where you're going. 
Or if you're doing a really big one, you might not need, even need to have any kind of a visual. But see if you can k- maintain a rhythm and a, a stride length and a frame throughout. And then if you want to get really tricky, and it's easy to try it at the walk at first, can you shorten that walk on the straight part? Can you shorten the walk on the curved part? And it, yeah, this is an awesome yep. one. Yes. And uh, we kind of, we like Daniel Stewart activities every once in a while. I don't know if you've heard of him, but um, we challenge our riders sometimes and we make it a counting game that, all right, you have to get that half circle. And when you cross your box, you need to get 15 strides until you cross your next cone. And then the next time through, okay, you need to get 25 strides. So it becomes the battle of the wits. And if you don't do it right, you know, it's all about finding those happy balances and figuring out. And it becomes more of a game at that point. But you have to keep those nice circles. And then if you get flat and you do it multiple times, oh, man, you're going to have to do some equestrian sit-ups <laughs> and be better for your horse. That's so true. And you know what else is so funny, ladies, is boy, you reverse and you got to sometimes start all over. You're like, seriously? Because yeah. either yeah. each way can sometimes be a challenge, depending on horse and rider, right? Sometimes the horse is one-sided, but a lot of times we're the ones that are one-sided that cause our horse to be. So I love Absolutely. all of that. So good. So um, Whitney, for everyone that's kind of out there and they're going, all right, let's kind of do a wrap up in your opinion of what collection and extension is and how it can all kind of relate. And what are some key takeaways? Key takeaways are, you know, for extension, remember, it's not going as fast as possible. It's not racing. Um, You want to make sure that you keep that Uh, covering forwardness, but keeping balance and tempo and smoothness in mindset. And then the reverse for the collection, same thing. You know, you need the rhythm, the suppleness, the contact impulsion. You need that. It's not about making your horse go as slow and uh, lack of impulsion at all. So those are my kind of takeaway from those. And Chelsea, how can people find you? What's the best way for them to find you if they want to know more about what you do? Um, The best way would be finding us at Cowboy Logic on Facebook. We have our little webpage on that. And then we also have a website at Cowboy Logic at Horsemanship, CowboyLogicHorsemanship.com. So those are the best ways to kind of find us and kind of see what we're all about. Well, and Chelsea, now we have something very exciting. Before I officially introduce our next guest, um, a little birdie told me that you two have known each other for a really long time. And the irony is, is I don't think you guys have talked in a while. So Whitney Legacy is now on the show as well. And Chelsea and Whitney, how about Chelsea? You go ahead and tell everyone how you know Whitney. I think this is a great story. Yeah. So when I was first, starting out in Connecticut, learning how to ride, Miss Whitney was one of my uh, mentor slash riding instructors. And um, when I started to grow up a little bit and we kind of parted ways because she went to 
um, having her own training facility and I stayed at the other barn, um, she totally geared me towards the AQHA professional horseman. And so she has been a role model for so long. And, um, you know, we've been in whole different countries, whole different states. And, you know, we kind of follow each other on Facebook every once in a while. But, you know, without Whitney, I don't think I'd be the horsewoman I was today. So. Thanks, Whitney. Oh, that sounds sweet. That's so sweet. It's so good to talk to you. I'm so proud of what you've become in this horse industry. And it's great to see your mom all the time as she fills me in on you and the family and everything. Um, you are a fabulous, fabulous student. And again, so proud that you've taken it to a whole nother level and become such a productive part of the horse community out there. Yeah. I just love when this it's magic been, can happen on horses in the morning. This magic is great. <laughs> Yeah. So fun that you guys haven't chatted in a while. You get to chat live on the, the radio. I think that's super. So, well, Whitney, yes. thank yeah, you I mean, so much, um, Chelsea, for being on. We just so appreciate you. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Yes. Thank you, guys. And have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. You as well. Bye, Chelsea. So, Whitney, let me introduce you. And then we're going to dive right into our topic. How does that sound? Sounds great. So Whitney Legacy is the head trainer and instructor at Whitney Ridge in Connecticut. She has four children that keep her and her husband, Mike, busy, and she serves on the American Quarter Horse Association Professional Horsemen's Council, their show committee, and is a board member for the Connecticut Quarter Horse Association and a team Wrangler member. With many world show titles and National Snaffle Bit World Show as well, and multiple high points achievements, she considers her clients barn family and proclaims the highlight of her career is building successful teams with riders and their horses. And Whitney, you just got back from the AQHA World Show. How did that go? We did. Uh, fortunately, it went very, very well. It was a long trek. We just got in three o'clock this morning. Finally, but it was a fabulous so show. to be on the show after that. Good for you. Thank you for coming <laughs> on with that drive. Of course. Of course. I'm honored you asked me to. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to have you today. So could you share with our listeners where exactly in Connecticut you're located? I'm located in Higginham, Connecticut, which is about 25 minutes southeast of Hartford. And have you been there for a while now? Yeah, I think we built this place about 11 years ago. Wonderful. Well, let's dive right in. Um, with Chelsea, we were talking quite a bit about collection and extension. And now we're going to get into lengthening and shortening of stride. And I think there's a lot of confusion out there about these four phrases. And some people think they mean the same thing. Some people think they mean very different things. So let's go ahead and start off with your definition, Whitney, of lengthening and shortening of stride. I think all four kind of have to work together. You need the collection and the length to get the lengthening and so forth. So they kind of are all grouped together. But if I was going to put the definition of lengthening, I would say it would be the ability to control the horse's body, um, increase their stride to be longer, or communicate to make their stride shorter without losing cadence and connection with the rider. That would be my quick definition of it. Very good. I, I would agree. And for people that are listening, you know, I think a lot of times we get ourselves thinking, well, it's important for showing because of all the different things you do in the show arena, but it's probably not important if I just ride without thinking about competition. Do you agree or disagree with that? No, I think it's important to be that connected with your horse to be able to do that no matter what you're doing. 
Um, there's other places you're going to use that in practice. If you're out on a trail and you hit a situation where you have to help your net horse navigate safely through something, you want to be able to have the ability to control their body and place, put their foot placements where they need to be to make sure you safely get through. If you're somebody out working um, on a farm or a ranch and you have to catch a cow or chase something down, you have to be able to tell your horse when to increase and get up there and get to that cow or when to come back to you um, and when to turn and so forth. In the show pen, it's extremely important if you want to do the higher level maneuvers in the horsemanship or the trail or equitation. There's all places that you're definitely going to have to have that ability with your horse if you want to be a well-connected advanced rider. So can you help those that are listening? And we have people listening that don't even own a horse yet, that are still dreaming of it, all the way up to people that have been doing this for a really long time and everybody in between. What are some individual patterns, drills, and exercises that you do at home with your clients to give them success for lengthening and shortening of their horse's strides? There's several things you can do. The old steady eddy is setting poles apart and trotting and loping between those poles um, because then it's, it gives you a visual to use. Um, I would set them apart like 36 feet apart, and that would be an average six-foot uh, lope stride or canter stride. And so you can go six, six strides between those poles, again, that are 36 feet apart. And then you can increase the stride and try and get it so you can get five strides in between. Or you can shorten it and try and get seven strides in between. So it gives you um, visually something to look at um, while you're trying to control your horse's stride and, and gets you used to the length of stride. If your eye doesn't naturally see it, it'll teach you how to, as you're counting your strides, to understand your horse's length of stride at five feet, six feet, and seven feet. Um, my trail horses, I'll use single poles throughout the arena and I'll jog and lope straight to the poles until my horse can kind of navigate where they are. I give them the freedom to figure it out. They'll be a little confused in the beginning. Sometimes we'll step on them or split them. And then when they get confidence and they start seeing the poles coming up and they adjust their stride to get to it, then I'll take them to another level where I will then start increasing their, their stride before the pole where they learn to navigate it at a, a more lengthy stride. And then on the flip side, I'll go back to them navigating themselves and then I'll shorten them up. So then they have to make an adjustment that way too. Uh, another thing I work on that I think is good for everybody is doing circles. I would, I'll do a lot of circles at the regular jog and then do an extended jog circle. And then I'll do a regular lope or canter circle. And then I'll do an extended canter um, circle. And that way, when you're pushing your horse to the point of more speed and more cadence, that's really going to connect you with your, with your animal. And when you first start doing that with your horses, a lot of times they'll get a little confused because it's out of their comfort zone. So you have to put a lot of practice time in and take the time to educate them that it's okay to open up and be a little bit bigger and be a little bit faster, yet still be under control of your, under the control of your rider. Uh, but increasing those strides in the jog and the lope in the circle, and then being able to bring them back at a certain point, bring them back to a slower six foot stride will, will really connect you and your horse. And is there anything that you think folks can do on the ground first that might be helpful, either lunging, bitted up, or round pen work, or anything like that? I think lunging, you don't have as much control of the length of stride lunging because you only have, you have your body, which is farther away, and you have the end of the lunge line. So I think 
honestly, with the lunging, maybe even if you set out some poles um, 12 feet apart or something and watch your horse, like get visually get used to what your horse looks like at that stride. Um, so you're going to have a visual when you're on their back and that's going to help you a lot when you're riding. That's a very good idea. And for those that may not understand, um, I think sometimes people think that when we shorten stride, we just kind of pull on the horse's face, um, some of our more novice folk. And then when we want to lengthen the stride, we just kick them. Do you go ahead and go into the very detailed nuances of how to use your body to do these things? I'm going to take it like to another level. Um, hopefully it'll make, make sense. I recently took some dance lessons because some clients, my barn did, it seemed like a good idea. And I hadn't been a student in a while and it was a huge eye opener for me. And it's very similar. I feel to what we're teaching the horses. So as I'm being taught what to do in these maneuvers in the beginning, it was a little confusing for me. And my instructor had to take his time to show me how my legs are supposed to be, where I was supposed to be standing, how I was supposed to move, etc. And then as I got more confident in my maneuvers, he was able to really swing me around, lengthen my stride or shorten my stride. I could follow his body. I had to get the education first. And I feel it's very similar with the horses. You have to educate them where their feet are. Um, they have to be able to drive up into the bridle through from your leg to your hand. They have to respect the bit and come back, give the chin and come back off the bit when you ask them to through your hands. Once they have um, all the basics, they have to have lateral movement also off of your legs. And once they have the basics, it's almost like a dance when you get to the higher maneuvers. It's that your body is talking to them and explaining to them how you want their body to move. But it takes a lot of connection. It takes a lot of time and a lot of practice to get that way. So as you're going, if you're loping along normally and you want to control it a little bit more or shorten the stride a little bit, you two hands, you take that energy, drive it to your hand, your hand would then put a little resistance there. And I was looking at like almost the horse balls up underneath you, rounds up and shortens up a little bit, gets a back comes up a little bit, stride gets a little shorter, but they don't lose cadence or rhythm. And then when you have them where you want them, you soften all your cues to show them, okay, that's where I need you to be. And then if they start falling out of that position, you again, go to leg and hand and show them again, no, this is, this is a stride I need you to be at. And on the flip side, when you need to lengthen the stride, it's similar. You're still going to push them up to your hand through your leg because you always go to leg first and hand. And then you're going to let them increase. You're not going to have quite as much resistance as you do when you're trying to tighten them up. And you let them open up. You're going to drive through your seat and your leg and let that stride open up, but not release their face. If you do that, their leg's just going to scramble out in front of them. You want them to still keep their back up, use their hind end, and just understand that they just have to open up and have a longer stride. I love relating it, Whitney, to a dance because isn't that truly what it is? When we're watching the horse and a rider combination do, let's say, a freestyle or whatever, it is like watching a dance. And how neat that you're taking dance. What kind of dance are you taking? Uh, it's a couple of ballroom um, dances, the waltz, and a couple other things. I actually have been gone so much horses, I haven't been able to keep up with it, but I'm going to get back to it. And it was a huge eye-opener for me as an instructor also as I'm, this man is telling me these very simple things, I'm hearing him tell me three or four times over. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm not a stupid person. I should easily be able to do this. And then it made me realize like, oh my goodness, that's me in the arena. And sometimes I don't understand why a person can't just catch on to the heels down. So it's great for me to be the one fumbling around for a minute <laughs> to realize that my horses need time to learn and my students need time to learn. 
Isn't that great for us as instructors? When we become the student, it's really good for us. Yeah, definitely. We go, oh, I get now some of this. Yes, I think that's good. So I'm going to dive into another area that I think is key and I think is um, sometimes rough for people. Obviously, you work with um, horses and clients that use a variety of bits, and some are going to be more direct pressure like your snaffle and your Kimberwicks and things like that where we ride with two hands. And then obviously, when you get into the upper level of Western, we've got to go to riding one-handed and curb bridles. Can you kind of explain the nuances of... um, lengthening and shortening in relation to direct pressure and leverage pressure bits? Okay, that goes, again, back to the basics, like I said before, it comes from your leg in your seat to your hand, no matter what bit you're using. You have to have impulsion from behind, you have to have some drive, to drive into the bridle to then adjust the person's body. Whether you, whatever bit you have in their mouth, as long as it's a bit that the horse is educated to use and you have the hands that are educated to use that bit also, um, you should be able to get most things done. And a lot of people look at bits and look at severity and they go, oh, that looks like a harsh bit or that looks like a super soft bit or whatever. And sometimes that's a little off. Um, horses like different pressure points. Some horses will flourish in a correction bit. Some will flourish in an A-frame. Some will flourish in a plain snaffle. Some in a twisted snaffle, et cetera. And if you can go and find the bit that your horse is most comfortable with, like what pressure point it likes the most, whether it's the tongue, the bars of the mouth, the roof of the mouth, um, uh, bits that have the curb chain have leverage both in the mouth, under the chin, and on top behind their ears. And that, that gives you a lot more places to communicate with your horse when you're pulling back on that bridle. Um, but again, you have to educate them how to give to all those pieces. So the bit really... Um, it comes to what works best with your horse. That's why there's so many bits out there. And you don't want to overbit or underbit your horse. You want to make sure you put a tool in there that they understand. Did I, I love that definition. There? Oh, absolutely. I love that definition, Whitney. I think people get very confused sometimes um, about that and they don't understand. And thank you for saying that the seat and the leg is, of course, the predominant tools that we use and hands are last. So I think all of that is super. So if we're going to do just some key takeaways on lengthening and shortening of stride for our listeners today, what are some things or maybe you can provide a specific example of one of your clients where it wasn't going well and then there was success. Any kind of key takeaway that you'd like to share on this topic? Hmm. I guess the, the biggest key thing I could say is practice, 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 practice. Because uh, what works for one horse, one rider might not work for the next. And if you're the sole rider in your horse, you know your horse the best. So go in there and try several different um, things. Like I said, the Increasing, increasing and shortening at the jog and the lope in a circle. Um, go over those set poles that are set that 36 feet apart and see what works with you and your horse. Like they're, everybody's not a carbon copy of each other. you got to figure out how to communicate with your horse the best. And again, if you have a trainer, have open communication with them and work on it till you get that feel. I love it. So what are the best ways, Whitney, for folks to find you if they uh, want to know more about what you do there in Connecticut? The best way is on Facebook. We have a Whitney Rich Facebook, but you're better off going to the Whitney Legacy, my personal Facebook, um, or we have uh, Whitney Ridge at gmail.com is our email address, or WhitneyRidge.com is our um, regular address. So Very good. Really, reach me any way you want. Well, we so appreciate you being on the show. We so appreciate our partnership with um, AQHA as an educational alliance partner. 
And thank you for being willing to be on after getting home from the AQHA World Show at 3 a.m. That is lovely of you. We really appreciate it, Whitney. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you again for having me. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Phew. My brain's tired. I know. That was good stuff. Good stuff. And it was interesting that talking about becoming a student. And for years, I have used the analogy of dancing, old-fashioned dancing, like doing the waltz. Um, yeah. Or even do the jitterbug. Uh, as a, an analogy to riding a horse, because it's communicating through... Your body, your, the way your body feels where it touches your horse to the horse and to you is how you're communicating. And teensy, weensy, itsy, bitsy, subtle changes can be felt. And when done well, they can be felt and become very tiny and be meaningful. When not done well, they can be felt and ignored. And true that, that there is every tiny, um, iteration of each one and you can take a feel an aid something the horse feels or something the rider feels it can be it can be meaningful and you can make it become not meaningful now if something is not meaningful going the reverse and making it meaningful again that is really really difficult because unlike a human being the whole with with a human being if you're dancing and if the person who is doing is, is the lead, and if you've never taken any dance lessons where you have to do this, I recommend it to everybody because you'll have the same epiphany that our guest did. If your hand between the shoulder blades of your dance partner and you're the lead, that's one of the aids you use to communicate to your partner when they need to move towards you or away from you. If the pressure is X and you lighten it to Y, your partner needs to move towards the pressure. If the pressure is X and you need to change it to Z, by increasing it, your partner needs to move towards you. But if you are inconsistent and you're constantly changing the pressure between X, Y, and Z without actually meaning your partner to move, in other words, you increase it to Z, your partner comes towards you and then promptly steps on your toes because that's not really what you meant, your partner will soon learn to ignore it. Because he's tired of stepping on your toes. That's mm-hmm. what your horse does. He feels the pressure. He responds to it. He gets negative feedback from you. In other words, you close your leg, you lose your balance, you hit him in the mouth a tiny bit. Well, I'm not going to move. After a while, he's going to not move forward from your leg because he got negative feedback. He got tired of stepping on your toes. He got tired of hitting in, his, hitting in the mouth. So takeaway number two is the aids you're using to lengthen, shorten, collect, extend, if they're not working, look at what you have done to either not educate the horse at all or the more likely scenario is you have um, created a situation where the horse sees no meaning in the aid because he's gotten negative feedback when he responded the way you wanted him to. And timing and feel is everything. I'm so so glad you mentioned that. Timing and feel, but it is, it's timing and feel. So my husband and I, Jen, we met um, country dancing and we both like it. And that's, that's how we met. We, we met at a country bar dancing and it was ladies night because I'm cheap and I like to get in for free. So that's how we met years ago. And, um, 
we took dance lessons together once we got together as a couple and we had a wonderful dance teacher that was not traditional. Oh, the man always leads. He's like, Oh no women, you need to learn how to lead too. So on certain dances, my husband wants to lead and on certain dances, he lets me lead because it works better. So depending on what the dance is, is kind of how we do that. And it's been really fun and it's fun to be the leader and the follower um, so that you kind of learn what your horse is going through or if you're an instructor, what your student is going through. It's good to be both. There you go. So you get both sides, learn to lead and learn to be what, you know, in dance, the person, you have the lead, that's the person whose hand tells their partner to move forward or back. What's the other one called? Is there a name for that other person in the in the team? Well, I've always said lead and follow, but that's probably more my horse thing doing that to me. You I'll know what to, I mean? Well, okay, somebody out there listening to our show knows the answer to that. So please send it to jenniferhorseradionetwork.com yeah, because inquiring minds need to know. And uh, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. This month on the... Wait, hold on. Hold, hold on. on. Hold on. Uh-oh. Hold on. What we lose? By the way, I don't dance either, Christy, so no, that just doesn't. tells you something. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the one thing I do know how to do is put on a good show, and we're doing one of those on Monday, and you're going to be involved. Yay, I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. Hello. I am so we here. have Radiothon coming up on Monday, 12 hours live. If, uh, if you're brand new to the Horse Radio Network, this is our fourth year doing it. It's all holiday, all day. We have tons of guests, tons of hosts. We give away over $4,000 in prizes. And Christy, do you want to te- talk a little bit about who your guests are going to be? Yes, I'm very excited. I have the 2 p.m. Eastern time time slot on it for the hour that Certified Horsemanship gets to do and I get to do. And we have, uh, we fondly refer to him as Dr. Bob. And Dr. Bob is Bob Coleman from the University of Kentucky. And he has a wide background in uh, bits and bidding. I think his bit collection takes over a whole room. So talk about nerdy and techie in the bit department. He loves those. Um, And he also uh, is very active with um, helping coach the intercollegiate team at UK. And of course, he's a professor there, very big on nutrition, body condition score, all that kind of stuff. He loves all that. And then Miss Shelley Hensley, she um, sits on our board and she is in uh, Iowa and um, she, oh, actually, no, I'm wrong. Shelly was going to be on, but she's not this year. It's going to be Haley Eberly. And Haley Eberly actually works for the National Reining Horse Association. And she's been um, part of our board for a while as well. And she has a really fun story, something about a horse going into the Home Depot on the holidays. I don't even know. So there, there's your teaser. <laughs> it's going to be super fun. The horse went uh, Christmas tree That's shopping. That's right. The horse went Christmas uh-huh. tree shopping. He needed to get some more lights. Yeah. That's right. Oh, my God. It'll be a fun And if uh, people want to learn more about that, they can go to HolidayRadiothon.com. It has all the details there, and you can call in next Monday and get your chance to win over $4,000 in prizes, including two grand prizes. One is, and I think your audience will love this, uh, one is your choice of any Wintech saddle, up to a $1,500 value. I love and those. Then, I have two uh, of them. I know. Well, every instructor has Wintech saddles. Oh, period. I love them. Um, because they're because the kids can't destroy them. <laughs> they're fabulous. And you can also teach uh, in the elements in them. They're wonderful. Teach while it's raining. Well, you can change Keep out the uh, change out. Yeah, you can change out the. Um, the so the gullet the tr- system. Oh, well, the gullets. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Sure can to fit and all your different so it school can fit horses. Any horse and- oh, it's fabulous. <clears throat> And then Weatherbeat is giving away a $500 
blanket sheet, saddle pad, and leg wrap package. Awesome. So uh, we're going to be giving away a ton of stuff that day. So definitely go over to HolidayRadiothon.com. It's Monday the 26th. Looking forward to having you there again, Christy. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. See, I can't dance and I don't really care to drive my pony properly, but boy, I can put on a party. Yes, you can. You're really Everybody's good about got a that. Different skill, Glenn. That's right. We like that. That's, that's your right. skill because we enjoy attending the parties that's that you right. put on. That's right. There you go. And if you need right, details, that's all I've got. Today's show, horsesinthemorning.com. Just look for today's date, November 19th, 2018. And you can follow us on Facebook. Search for Horses in the Morning. Our Twitter handle is Horse Radio. If you haven't done so already, download the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. It's free and easy to use. And for the less tech-savvy folk in your life, uh, help them download the app so they can listen. And if you're the not-tech-savvy person doing the listening on your computer, old-school style, find some young person, preferably under the age of seven, and have them download it for you. (laughs) So and, true. <laughs> that's right. You can also slip listen on lots and lots of affiliate websites, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher. And thank you again to Christy Landwehr and the Certified Horsemanship Association. Give everybody the website where they can find y'all. Yes, it is CHA.horse. So no.com or org, just .horse. And I'll tell you, I want to do a shout out. Today on Tuesday, November 20th, it is my brother's birthday. So happy birthday, Conrad. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thanks, everyone.